1: So i'm super excited to have a sports psychologist on for this next interview we actually had somebody reach out to us and ask like hey anybody who can talk about sports psychology well here we are we have dr haley perlis who knows what it takes to overcome barriers and achieve peak performance as an elite alpine ski racer she competed and trained with the best in the world pushing herself to the limits time and time again now with a phd in sports psychology Haley continues to push boundaries and drive peak performance, helping athletes and Fortune 100 executives to reach their goals. Haley works with individuals and teams to manage and expand their energy capacity while increasing resilience, focus, and drive. Dr. Perlis is a highly sought after keynote speaker, professor, author, and consultant to Division I athletes. She has spoken at many events, some of which include Vistage, Tech Canada, Elite Fitness, and Performance Summit and Trilogy Athletes. She is an adjunct professor at the University of Colorado lecturing on applied sport and exercise psychology at the graduate level. She has authored several books, including the Ultimate Achievement Journal and the Inside Drive, and her articles have been featured in publications such as Thrive Magazine, Fitness Magazine, Idea Fitness Journal, Epic Times, Tell Your Ride Inside, My Viga, and Beachbody. Dr. Perlis earned her PhD at the University of Northern Colorado with an emphasis on social psychology of sport and physical activity, her MS at the University of Florida in sports pedagogy, and her bachelor degree at the University of Western Ontario in kinesiology. Haley loves both water and snow skiing and hiking. Her favorite meal is anything that requires only chopping or blending, and I can't wait for you to listen through this because she gives so many practical tips, not only on those who are in sport or directly compete as an athlete, but mainly focuses on what the general person can do to just keep motivated, focused, and consistent in your daily activities and exercise. Let's get to it.
0: Haley, thanks so much for being here. We actually had a request to bring like someone like a sports psychologist on and that's who you are. So I'm Really grateful to be able to ha- dive into your mind and unpack some things that I think can really be beneficial for everyone. So thank you for taking the time and being here with us.
2: Yeah, thanks, Jen. I'm happy I'm the chosen sports site gal today. I'm happy to be here.
1: <laughs> and I think that you know I, I don't want people who like are out there listening. Oh, I'm not in sports. I'm I don't compete as an athlete. I think that a lot of what you probably work with athletes or even high or elite level athletes on can really Also translate into the everyday person who's just trying to stay active, trying to find a consistent exercise routine. Um, Do you primarily work with solely athletes, or do you also work with people who would consider themselves the the weekend warrior who's trying to train for some five k or tough mudder or something like that?
2: Yeah, everyone. And John, that's a really good point. Yes, it is sports psychology. Like that's what my Ph.D. title is. But you're right. All of these tips and tools and techniques apply. To everyone. And in my consulting practice, I work with health enthusiasts, sport athletes, any level, um, any sport. And then I also do quite a bit in the corporate world, too. So these tools and tips um, were, you know, I found them in sports, if you want to think it that way. And then we apply them to every person in, in whatever life domain they're pursuing. So now when we're talking about general population, getting back
0: to movement, you know, I think the number one thing that people feel holds them up is that idea of motivation. Now, is it really motivation that people need to rely on every time to keep moving or keep working
2: out or keep getting back to their daily exercise routine? I do think it is motivation uh, with confidence and focus. So Mm. I don't think it's just motivation. I think it's all three of those mental skills that we need in order to help us to get back to moving.
1: Gotcha. So, motivation, confidence, focus. Like, what would you say to the person who, you know, might not be somebody who works out often, but is wanting to find that practice that they can find motivation, confidence, and focus within?
2: So, you know, I'm, I'm often asked to help people fall in love with movement and exercise. Yeah. Help me fall in love with exercise. And I've been exercising my entire life, and I cannot tell you that I love every aspect of it. Mm. So, to find motivation I, I we need to ask ourselves the right question, and I like to ask people what they already love to do so, for example, if someone loves to be social, do not move and exercise by yourself, go and be social, mm. find someone, even if it 's a virtual you know group, find a group to to move with If you love to be outside, do not work out or exercise indoors, get outside. If you love competition, go sign up for a competition or find something to compete against yourself. If you like to learn new things, don't go right, left, right, left on a treadmill. We know how to go. We know how to walk already. So go learn something new. Find what you already love and then choose a movement, an act, a physical activity that satisfies that current love.
0: I think that's really important for people to continue to remember, especially when it comes to Finding that, that barrier of movement and feeling like, but I, you know, people say I should do this or I should do that and really just leaning into well, what do you like to do and how can we find movement within, within that scope? Now, what if someone is saying, well, yes, I love to work out, but then I live in a state that it gets really cold outside, so I can't just go outside or I can't, like, how, how do you continue to find motivation when environmental changes might play a
2: role? So initially, that's, you know, it's a lot easier when you already have the habit. So for me, I, I'm i in Colorado right now, we do have winters, and it is cold. Uh, I still put on a hat and gloves, and sometimes those gloves are heated. <laughs> but yeah.
1: um,
2: I will, you know, it may not be a full day outside, but I still, I still take the proper measurements to allow me to go outside. But if it is um impossible, you know, or I really, it is just bitter chill outside, for example, I've developed the habit that I will make, I will do something because here's the second thing that I want people to focus on. Something is always better than nothing. Hmm. Hmm. And that's something that we can learn from as well. And people that are just starting out, it it is not going to be perfect. So we need to stop asking for perfection and I'm not saying let yourself off the hook, but I am saying give yourself some grace. And I do believe there's a difference. And if you go out, if you move for 15 minutes, even though you wanted 60 minutes, but 15 minutes was all you had time for, or you really just started to feel fatigued, 15 minutes is, is better than no minutes. So even though you may not, you may not um, be able to go outside and have it be the perfect you know, environment for you to move, something will always be better than nothing in this, those situations.
1: Yeah, I think that's really a, a big thing to pay attention to, especially when you're starting out. Because when we talk about health and health behaviors, like it, it's really about developing a habit. And it's uh, how do we develop long-term habits and behavior change? And I think that's one thing that's really difficult because a lot of people will come in with some sort of goal and they'll say, okay, I want to work out for X amount, <laughs> whatever, an hour, 4 or 5 times a week. And when people come in with that sort of goal, you know, they might hit that expectation wall where they realize that that's just not realistic for that first week. So how can somebody realistically approach starting a new behavior so that they do exactly that, develop a long-term habit to eventually reach some of those longer-term goals?
2: Dom, great question. And I'm going to use your example. So, you know, 60, an hour, three to four times a week, I think is what you said. I would throw that out the window. And what I encourage my um, health enthusiasts that I work with is not three to four times a week. I actually recommend every day, so seven days of the week, 15, 10, whatever you decide 10, 15, 20 minutes of movement. Now, it doesn't all have to be high intensity or moderate intensity. Sometimes it'll be 15 minutes of stretching. Sometimes it'll be 10 minutes of restorative yoga. Sometimes it might, you might push it beyond the 20 minutes, if that's what you've chosen, to a 30-minute, 45-minute you know, group fitness class, if you do, or a, an hour walk. But as long as you start with every day of the week, and you choose whether it, and choose something that is realistic. I can move for 10 minutes every day. Every one of us can move for 10 minutes every day. And what that does is starts developing the habit, not only of your body moving, but your mind understanding that this is part of my daily routine. So there's no more yo-yo within the week. I'm working, I'm I'm moving today and then I'm not moving tomorrow. I'm moving every day, but you go in in a short amount of time and then you will notice that sometimes you can build on it. Sometimes you will take a class. And one t- Sometimes the 30 minutes will turn into a 45-minute walk.
1: I want to take a little break from our interview with Dr. Perlis to talk about something that is absolutely vital to our health, especially to our cognition and how our brain is functioning, and that is hydration. And I'm not just talking water here. I'm also talking about electrolytes because electrolytes like potassium, magnesium, and sodium are so important for so many physiologic functions in our body like how our muscles contract, how our nerves operate, mental clarity, and so much more like fatigue, how we sleep, everything. And one thing that Jen and I have been incorporating almost daily is Element. Element is an electrolyte mix that has incredible flavors and includes great doses of magnesium, sodium, and potassium. There's no added sugar, but they taste incredible. If you go down to the link in the show notes, which should be drinkelement.com backslash optimal, you can order some up for yourself and get a free sample pack with every single order. And I love that you get this sample pack because it allows you to try some of their different flavors, some that are a little bit funky sounding like mango chili or chocolate salt, which also just are so incredible. It is like the Gucci of sports drink mixes. So go down to that link in the show notes, make sure you try it out, get your free sample pack and stay hydrated. Let's jump back into the interview. Kind of a follow-up to that as far as like how long it takes to create a habit. I know there's all sorts of like studies that it takes X amount of days to create a habit. So like how long would you say somebody should follow this Seven day, you know, a week practice where any amount of movement, seven days a week, about how long before that really starts to become a psychological, habitual thing for people?
2: In my humble opinion, That research, like you said, 21 days, 60 days, uh, and I'm not saying that research is false, but I believe we all have individual lives and we all have individual experiences and we all come unique in this way. So I actually believe that it takes as long as it's going to take. And I will tell us, I, I will share what I believe is when you know it's become a habit. And it's the difference between a push and a pull when you're starting out, we literally have to push ourselves. We need others, our accountability partners, support people to help push us into movement. Push, push, push. Doesn't, it's uncomfortable. We have to consciously think of it. We, are, it's, we have calendar reminders. We, uh, you know, we, we play music. We do it first thing in the morning to push us. As soon as you realize, wow, it's been a couple of days or a week And I didn't need my calendar to go off and tell me to move. I already moved or I already anticipated it. Now it's become a pull. Mm. And as soon as the push becomes a pull, that's a good sign that you've created a habit.
0: Mm. I absolutely love that analogy. And that's something that I tell people all the time when just getting started. Like, how can you... Have an accountability buddy. How can you call on a friend? How can you get someone to go walk with you even? Like getting that accountability from other people really helps to create that, helps with that push in the beginning so that you're getting that motivation to get up and go and and do the movement and do working out. Now, when someone is feeling like, okay, I've been doing something consistently, but I now I'm not seeing much changes anymore. Or I feel like I'm plateauing in my workouts. Like, how does someone continue to push past and find the motivation to continue to go?
2: Another great question. You guys are full of these great questions. (laughs) Um, Well, we we need to, again, now increase the challenge, but we Mm. do so incrementally. And there's a, again, there's a fine line between experiencing anxiety and anxiety is worry, frustration fear, like fear of failure, for example, Um, maybe a little bit of anger at yourself or at your situation, that is a demotivator. A lot of us who feel anxiety, that is where like, I don't want to face it. I don't want to do it. I'm going to justify all the reasons why I shouldn't or don't need to. Mm -hmm. What we do want to feel is challenged nervousness is actually a good thing but what challenge and nervousness does is bring about excitement and confidence so the difference is is when you when you say okay i was you know moving i was going for 30 minute walks and now i kind of either want to pick up my pace or i want to go longer that's typically what you know how you would raise the game for yourself you want to pick up a pace where you feel challenged but you maintain i can do this you maintain confidence If you start now picking up the pace to where you're huffing and puffing and you're frustrated and you're worried and you're even afraid of re-injury, that's too much. So again, there's that fine line. You have to challenge yourself with a little bit longer, or a little bit, you know, increased intensity. But you still want to maintain that confidence. I can do this. And I think some people just push it a little bit too far where they lose the confidence and the anxiety kicks in. Mm.
1: No, I think that's great. And I think kind of coming back to... That whole example that I brought up where it's someone's like, okay, I want to be working out for an hour for however many days a week. And I think that kind of plays into goal setting, right? I like how you initially said, throw that out the window, especially when you're starting. But how do you approach setting realistic goals with people, especially when people are talking something that's going to be a long-term goal or might be something that'll take six to nine months or more to achieve?
2: So of, of course, we want those results, right? Those results in six to nine months, of course, that's what we're looking for. And for some of us, so it depends, some of us, that end game, that end result is a motivator. And we want to put it on the bulletin board, have our vision board, and see the end goal in mind. And that's all we need to get up to motivate us to get up and move. But others, that's actually a distraction. Mm -hmm. And we all, we think, oh my God, that's so long. That's so long from now, six to nine months is forever. And I'm never going to get there and look at all the things that I have to do before I get there. So it could be a distraction and decrease our confidence, which then decreases our motivation. Mm -hmm. So I'm really on board with the, what we call more of like um, now goals, process goals. And when we set those goals, we really want them to be something that we have 100% control over. We do not have to rely on anything or anyone. We've got this if we choose to. So, I'm 100% control over. It does not matter if it's cold outside. We're going to do something because something is better than nothing, right? Mm-hmm. And then the second one is 100% confidence that we can do it with effort. It's not supposed to be easy. So it's not like I've got this. I don't even have to, you know, I don't even have to exert any effort. You want to choose a goal that where you need to exert effort, but you also really know that you can do it. So 100% perceived control, and 100% belief in yourself. And those are the goals that allow you to kind of um, have some gratitude and, and have a sense of accomplishment at the end of each day at the end of each physical activity session. And those are what increases our confidence and further motivation and focus to get to that, you know, six to nine month target.
0: Now, I see a lot of people start to lose this lack of confidence within their body if they've been dealing with a chronic injury or something continues to flare up or they're afraid that if I do, if I push it a little bit harder, if I challenge myself, well, then I'm just going to end up back where I was before and they start losing that confidence to push things or to even try sometimes, like what's the, what's the point in trying if I continue to get injured? So how does someone start approaching movement in more of a possibility way and rebuilding that confidence?
2: So education is key. So, you know, going to your physician and obviously listening to experts like yourselves and Really knowing your limits, I think, is key. Whenever I work with someone, because I'm working from the neck up, right? But we're really trying to get results from the neck down. Yeah. Um, We we, you know, I really need them to know from their physicians, from from everyone, physical therapists who are working with them, what is within and and with um, outside of their limitations. In addition, what goes in that is something that they have to understand as functional versus non, you know, uh, dysfunctional pain. It is going to be uncomfortable. And I think once they understand because they've received the feedback from, you know, from their physicians, from their doctors and from the people who are working with them, I'm feeling this discomfort, I'm afraid, but my doctor says I can push it. My doctor says my body can do this. Because sometimes we need the confidence of others first in order for us to believe in ourselves. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And kind of staying on that injury thread, I mean, I know especially for athletes specifically or if you're competing at a high level, but for somebody in the general population, if you're training for a marathon or you love to run or you love to do obstacle course races and suddenly you have an injury that prevents you from doing that specific activity, how do you talk with people or coach people into being able to stay active or finding other things during that recovery period where they can continue to exercise you can continue to do things you might just not be able to do your marathon training or you might not be able to go play basketball if if you're a basketball athlete and you get injured like how does someone stay motivated within the depths of that injury
2: so important to 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 answer this question so i'm so happy you brought that up it is, and I'll back it up and go a little bit outside of injury for just for a moment. Um, sometimes I work with athletes who are transitioning out of sport and into, uh, you know, corporate life or, or other life outside of their sport, and they are retired, forced retirement, chosen retired retirement, whatever it is, and very similar to what you were just talking about, they don't necessarily have the confidence, what am I going to do? This is all I know. I'm, I'm an athlete. This is all I know. And so what I do is we engage in some exercise where I ask them, what did you love about your sport? Very seldom is it the smell of the ball or how the stick feels in my hands. It's the perseverance. It's the camaraderie. It's the determination. It's the skill set. It's the challenge. And then we find um, whatever other endeavor they're going to pursue, we bring those things that they used to love in their sport into that new career, if you will. Same thing when it comes with to injured injured you know exercise enthusiasts who may not be able to do the sport or the activity that they love and they have to transition. What did you love about that specific activity that you can no longer do? And then we find the pieces that we can transition into another movement, Mm -hmm. another activity, so that we're because it is what it is. Unfortunately, you know you can't have everything that you want, so. You can either sit and do nothing, or we can figure out how to embrace the new challenge and bring everything, or at least mo- some of the things you used to love in this activity, into your next activity.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's huge, and continuing to wrap your mind around that while you're experiencing this and going through injury, it's it's hard. You know, it's tough. And so, how does someone? become you know mentally tough when they're starting to recover from an injury or go back to that confidence
2: you just you just said it Jen I think the first thing is to acknowledge that it's tough mm. hmm. acknowledge that you know can I say the word suck <laughs> it <Yeah. sucks>. yes <laughs> so give yourself a little bit this is where I say give yourself some grace give yourself some 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 time and some space to be sad it is a loss. And it is not what you wanted. So allow yourself to feel that so that you don't have to bring it with you. Um, It it just doesn't, it'll grow and grow and grow. And it will just be hanging on your shoulders if you don't address it. So you kind of have to accept the fact that that you're sad and accept the fact that, you know, you don't get to have everything that you want. And then once you've accepted, accepted it, then I'm a big believer in taking action on what you do have control over on what you can still do, on what your strengths are. And, and then you focus on the present moment, bringing your strengths to that present moment. And from there, some wonderful things happen. One is that you do get back on track you do um, start to develop muscle and stamina and endurance. And you might actually now be more open to new exciting opportunities that you never saw before.
0: I absolutely love that. And that's a great, great mindset to start to put people in when we do some of our challenges. Sometimes I talk about weekly mindset tools and that's one of them. You know, I think so often, especially as a physical therapist dealing with injuries, people are, are so focused on what they can't do. And, and what is holding them back rather than what they can do within their body and what their body has the access <laughs> to to provide. And if we start focusing you know, more on what I'm able to do and what I can do, you start not worrying about what you can't do. And all of a sudden things start to change and improvement starts to happen. So I, I love that mindset tool. I think that's so incredibly important. Are there other little shifts that people can make or use when dealing with pain and injury?
2: Imagery. So Mm. a lot of people think of, you know, visualization. Mm -hmm. Um, There are so many different types of imagery and visualization. And one that comes to mind is symbolic imagery. And, you know, an example of symbolic imagery would be uh, to imagine yourself, choose any object, uh, animal, a machine. Um, So for example, if if um, we're just getting back our range of motion, so we're now on a on a on a bike, and we're just trying to get some fluidity, like just just in a pedal stroke, and we're just looking for that fluidity and even cadence. Maybe you're going to find, you know, you just you close your eyes and you think of I don't know one of those um, what is it like the train where you just see like the wheel, or even a bicycle, and you just see the, you just see the wheel going, um, and you just your leg becomes that wheel. Um, another one would be, if you're looking for range of motion in your legs, maybe, you and you're kind of doing more of an explosive movement, maybe you visualize your leg as more of like a, a slinky, is that what it's called? The slinky the game?
0: Like
2: yeah. the, yeah, you know, like, so just opening fluidity and then coming back and opening yeah. and flowing back. Or maybe if you're, you know, you're a cheetah and you're starting to, to move faster and faster if you're, if you're improving some, some running skills, so that's symbolic imagery. If you Another way is that if you are finding yourself really anxious, like you're really afraid mm-hmm. and you've got butterflies in your stomach, I think that's a common um, visualization that we all have, just butterflies in your stomach, swarming all over the place, you can't control them. Well, if we just visualize ourselves taking back control of those butterflies, professional athletes do this all the time when they're anxious. They have butterflies in their stomachs, so they close their eyes, and they imagine those butterflies moving into an inverted V shape in their stomach just like birds fly above us hmm. well birds fly above us because it's efficient and it creates high energy so if we can take our butterflies in our stomach that's created by anxiety and put them into an inverted V they will now we can use them for energy to achieve what we want to achieve in our in our movement so those types of things one more if i can just jump in with imagery if you do experience a lot of swelling if you have a lot of scar tissue, for example, and then when you start to move and you start to get back into um, some physical activity, some swelling can increase, right? That can start up again. What you can do is you can visualize like character. So do you know the meta the uh, Mucinex commercial, that like booger dude guy, <laughs> mm-hmm. the green? Yeah. <laughs> so I always use him. It's like he took up shop in my knee that's swollen or something. And then I visualize that booger dude packing up. And getting out of town, getting out of my knee, <laughs> and that actually is what we call healing imagery. And it and actually research suggests that it does help with the swelling. Also, visualizing your knee. You know, like if like a lot of people visualize like the color red for swelling. Well, if you visualize your knee as like um, your favorite color, so for me it would be green because that brings energy to me. So I move away from the red and I move into the green. A lot of the times that can help with swelling and scar tissue.
0: Mm, that's so great.
1: I think that's so cool. And I mean, I think Jen and I are the two of the perfect physical therapists to be talking about, you know, this stuff with, because we are totally like the voodoo therapists who just always say, oh, you just need to breathe more or breathe differently and shift where your nervous system is at. But we really don't give enough credit to these things like imagery or like breath work or like focusing on what we can do rather than imagining all the barriers and the things that we can't do and and we don't really understand the power that that has to flip our nervous system in a completely different way and and change all these different physiologic processes in our body like our lymphatic return or improving our circulation and i do truly believe what you say when this imagery could actually help start to reduce our swelling or start to shift different physiologic processes in the right direction to make that happen so I really like what you brought up right there. Um, I guess another question that I have is: if, say we're talking about somebody who's doing an activity that they love, you know. So we we've checked that box. So it's yep, it's something I love. They are competing or doing something more competitive or training for a race or a certain type of goal, like say a marathon runner. But then they hit that motivational plateau where they start to hit a, couple, a stretch of a few weeks where they're really like, okay, I'm really not enjoying my running training, right? But it's something that I need to continue to do. I have a race coming up or I have something that I've been training for. How do you work with somebody like that who is in their chosen sport, something that they love the majority of the time, but they've just really hit that motivational slump in that specific activity?
2: Great question, and so this is where I'm going to be a little delicate because I don't know who's listening, and it and it and it varies. So first and foremost, when someone comes to me to tell me that they're you know they're they are they have lost motivation, they may have hit a plateau. I want to make sure they're not experiencing burnout. Mm-hmm. Um, so if they are emotionally and mentally exhausted, even though their bodies can do it, but if they are emotionally and mentally exhausted, they don't really feel motivated. They kind of feel disconnected. They don't feel like they're doing a good job. Uh, sometimes it's actually the incorrect to push them to do more. Sometimes that's a moment where we need to take some recovery. Mm-hmm. Now recovery can, does not necessarily mean do nothing. Yeah. recovery sometimes is active recovery so if you're training for a marathon for example maybe we just need to stop running and go for a bike ride maybe we need to do um a group fitness class maybe we need to go for a hike or play a you know pickleball whatever it might be just mm. do something different so it's active recovery taking yourself out of one activity and putting yourself into another that cre- that renews some emotional and mental energy that's, that's one thing that we need to assess because I don't want to push someone into experiencing more burnout.
1: If you can play pickleball and not smile and laugh and have a good time, <laughs> then there's something else going on here.
2: <laughs> right. Absolutely. And I actually recommend that we, that we have variety no matter what we're doing at any level of development and anything. you know Variety to me is is spice of life and variety is key to, to maintaining some motivation, just getting a little bit of flavor. However, to if it's not burnout and your body's doing it and you're emotionally and mentally there, you're just not feeling motivation, uh, sometimes you need to, and I'll be honest, suck it up. Mm. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes you just have to realize, yeah, that you know what? I'm not going to like today. I just actually yeah. came back from a bike ride myself right before um, this discussion with you, Jen and Dom, and, and I, I just didn't, it, and I wasn't motivated. And all I kept saying to myself was right, left, right, left, right, left, right, left. I set short-term goals. I, I, I divided my bike ride into four stages, and right, left, right, left, right, left. Open your eyes, look around. Like I just, it, but I, but I accepted the fact that this is not going to be my favorite ride. I'm not motivated, but I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And and just doing it. what is that? Where does that come from?
0: Because if you're lacking that motivation, is that the discipline? that you're telling yourself, is that the goal that you set? Like, where did that come from to say, okay, I'm just going to get on the bike and, and do
2: it anyways. So this, and that's a great question. And you're, and it is true. So I may not be motivated to get on the bike, but I am motivated not to have the, the disappointment at the end of the day. Mm. I'm not, I don't want to let myself off the hook. I gave myself some grace. I was on the bike. I typically do that ride without a stop. I stopped once. Actually, I stopped twice for, you know, a quick water break. Um, I made sure that if we're going to stop, it's going to be 30 seconds, no more. But I did give myself some grace in that. But I did not let myself off the hook and justify all the reasons why it's okay to skip it. Because I don't want the feeling of disappointment at the end. Mm.
1: Yeah. And I think, I mean, to kind of come back around to something you said about those those three points, I think you said it was motivation, focus, and commitment? Conf- confidence. 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 Mm-hmm. And, and when you don't have the motivation, kind of leaning into that focus and that confidence, I think... Could help a lot in that type of scenario just hey as long as i focus and have confidence that i can finish this bike ride and the day will go on <laughs> um that's one of those times where you say like you can just suck it up and do the darn thing uh like you said as long as it might it's not somebody who might actually be dealing with burnout and i liked previously how you brought up that imagery and how imagery can be really helpful like is that similar to using positive self-talk like if you're about to go out for a competition, talking more about an athlete, and you're getting really nervous, like where does positive self-talk play into helping build some of that motivation?
2: Oh, absolutely, absolutely, positive self-talk. And I'm not, I'm not a big cheerleader. I don't wave my pom poms at the athletes that I work with. Um, I'm really focused on. Um, a strategy, which is when you get out onto that field, when you get in that pool, when you get on the court, when you get on that mountain. Um, what are your strengths? What are you gonna? What are you gonna focus on? Technical or tactical? Because these are the things. This is skill set, and everyone can develop a skill set. So, um, and everyone has some level of skill, something that they can draw upon. So positive self talk is really looking to see what you can bring to the table, what you can bring to the competition. And that motivates us because we ha- I can do that. Like I'm not looking I'm not being asked to do something that I don't know if I can or cannot do. I'm really focusing on something specific, technical or tactical, and it might be you mentioned breathing. It might be that when, you know, if I find myself, you know, at so and so heart rate, I know that I can control my breath. So I'm going to bring it back to my breath. And then obviously, that'll control all the other physiological responses. So some just something like that is, is my part positive self talk. Do I want us to say, you know, you've got this go, go, of course I do. But when we're feeling a lot of anxiety and the fear, those fears are real. And they're, they're, strong, and they they will win against the you can do it. But mm. if I'm focused on, I'm not sure I can get this done. But if I focus on this skill set, if I focus on this specific technique and tactic, my mind is going to be directed towards that my action is going to be directed towards that And more often than not, I'm going to make it happen. Mm.
0: That's a really cool flip on what people might think of as positive self talk and having to be that cheerleader all the time. And, and I can see that being used even in in a situation with someone in pain, you know, rather than trying to woo-woo your way through it and be that cheerleader for yourself, really focusing on, okay, what's my technique as I'm doing this movement? And what's, what am I breathing through this movement? and And focusing more on those tactical pieces, like you said, and the technique of it can really help to just kind of continue to move you along rather than holding you back on that, that fear of the pain or increasing the pain or um, getting through that injury. So I love that idea of, of reframing how positive self-talk looks and how we can use that as, as a motivator to continue to go and push past the fear.
2: I think that's, that's so huge. And you mentioned pain, Jen, and that's something that I could, and, and the word reframing, you know, pain is our body talking to us, right? And I'm sure you teach, um, you know, all of, everyone that you work with as physical therapists, I mean, they are coming to you and they're experiencing pain and you're helping them decipher between the, the pain that, you know, that it's just, you know, it's not dangerous, so it's functional. And so when they feel the pain, it they, you know, we have to, positive self-talk is also reframing it and be like, hey, what what is my body telling me right now? Yeah. And and working with it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you I mean you hit on the head but we work with people and tell them about pain and that we try to frame pain not as something that is bad but it's a message from our body trying to communicate with us. And mm-hmm. how do we mm-hmm. again reframe it, breathe into it, listen to it a little bit deeper and then use that to direct how we, you know, move or how we breathe or how we Perceive different things in our environment. And I think that you've given us a ton of incredible tips and tricks to start doing that when it comes to motivation and focus on how we can be consistent throughout our daily routines and our movement. Where could somebody go to learn more from you, learn more about you, or potentially communicate with you?
2: Yeah, Tom, the best place is my website. So it's uh, Dr. Just DR. Haley H A L E Y Perlis, P E R L U S dot com. They can go there. Um, they can opt in, and I do um, consistent communications. They can ask me a question directly, and I'm the one that responds to them. Um, it's just something that I have. I want to be. I want to be responsible. So you can communicate with me directly. So definitely my website. The other one um, would probably be LinkedIn, but my website's the best place.
0: Awesome. And I did see that you have some really cool blog posts that people can continue to learn from you and and read through your information. I, I This psychology piece, when it comes to movement and pain and injury and, and continuing athletic performance is so incredibly huge. And something as a young athlete, I never had the opportunity to have. I was a gymnast at a young age, but I wish I did because I think this is such a crucial piece of the puzzle. And this, even as we continue to age and we're thinking of getting back into what athletic performance means to us, having the psychology piece in understanding that within our bodies is is so huge. So thank you, Haley, for what you're doing and how you're continuing to help people.
2: Yeah, thank you, Jen. Thank you, Dawn, for
0: having me. Such a great interview with Haley. I think she brought up a lot of good points, not only for continuing in exercise, but recovery from pain and injury because this is so prevalent in our community, right? And what we all will experience as we go through life. So using these tools is going to be huge. Again, we're going to link up her information below. If you heard something that you know will benefit other people, please share this out with them. It is so important to continue to have these messages shared with other people and you, our community, help us to do that by sharing and also leaving a little rate and review if you haven't yet. It really, really helps to just continue to get this message out on this entire podcast out to more people so more people get to benefit and learn just like you.